Welcome to Disability Inc. My name is Colin Montgomery. I'm a family educator at Include NYC. Our guest today is Kelly Anderson. Kelly is an accomplished Brooklyn-based documentary filmmaker, the chair of the Department of Film and Media Studies at Hunter College, and the parent of a child with obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. Today we'll discuss Kelly's most recent documentary, Unstuck, an OCD kids movie, which she made with another parent, Chris Baer. We'll discuss the topics surrounding it, from parenting a child with a disability, the specific nature of OCD, to the self-advocacy skills the youth in her film show us. Please check out the film's interactive website, which includes great resources about OCD for both adults and kids at OCDKidsMovie.com. That's OCDKidsMovie, all one word, .com. The link is available in our episode description. Hello, Kelly. Hi. Thank you for being here today. You are so welcome. So, you've done lots of documentaries on a wide variety of subjects. Your film, Every Mother's Son, inter interviewed mothers whose children were killed by police officers. And I personally enjoyed watching your documentary, My Brooklyn, which examined the development and gentrification of downtown Brooklyn. So what inspired you to do this movie on youth with OCD? Well, um, I had finished the film that you just referenced, My Brooklyn, and I was trying to think about what to do next. And one of the nice things about making documentaries is that you can sort of delve into whatever is touching you in your life at that given moment. And my daughter uh, was 10 years old at the time. This was four years ago. And we had um, been dealing with some challenges because she, is, uh, she has an autism spectrum disorder, but nothing really prepared me for... Um, what happened when she was 10 and she had an onset of obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. Mm. So I found myself completely um, thrown. It was very, very difficult and challenging time. And um, I just, you know, I really couldn't focus on anything except OCD. Sure. I was trying to find treatment. I was trying to figure out how to afford treatment. Mm. I was trying to manage, you know, chaos in my household. Yeah. Um, and so I just uh, realized that, you know, this was what I was spending all my time researching mm -hmm. and maybe I should make a film about it. I was concerned about um, how to do it though. And it took me a while to figure out the approach because I didn't want to show kids in the throes of, uh, you know, the anxiety that they go through when they have OCD and I wanted yeah. to be respectful and ethical. And so that sort of it was, it was challenging to think about how to do that. So it took me a while, but that's why I decided to make the film. And then I met uh, Chris Baer, who was uh, organizing a support group for parents oh, in okay. Brooklyn. Okay. And yeah. so we both had kids with OCD. His daughter has OCD also. And at that point, we realized just how desperate families were for information. Sure, sure. And we also found out some things about OCD that seemed worth spreading. Okay. Um, you know, so yeah, that's why we made it. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I, for me, I used to be a special education teacher. I, OCD is something that I feel like was just a, a casual term you, you kind of throw out, just a label. Um, and I never had any training on it through um, graduate school or from professional development. So I think it'd be helpful for anyone listening. Could you define OCD and what really characterizes it? Sure. I'll tell you first what it isn't because it's yeah. very frustrating <laughs> to people with with OCD and their families um, when people use OCD the wrong way. So mm -hmm. OCD is not being organized. It's not being neat. It's not being detail oriented. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I've had that experience of having people say I'm so OCD. In fact, kids yeah. talk about their teachers saying it a lot. Yeah. So part of the goal with the film was to just get more information out there so people wouldn't do that. Absolutely. OCD is characterized by, um, it's an anxiety disorder 
and uh, it often comes on between the ages of 9 and 12 okay. in kids. Um, many adults have it, obviously, and um, basically in order to be uh, diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, you have to have obsessions and compulsions. Mm -hmm. So obsessions are fears or things that you're worried about okay. that recur over and over and over again, and the compulsion is something that you do in order to relieve the anxiety that's triggered by the fear. So when you see the classic thing would be like you're afraid that you're going to get sick, right, from germs, so you wash your hands all the time. So yeah. the hand washing is the compulsion. Um, but that's just one of many, many types of OCD. Yeah. You know, with kids, what you'll notice a lot is um, certain behaviors like counting, tapping, needing, you know, if I touch something with my right hand, I have to do it with my left hand. And those are all, um, as the children in our film explain, done because they feel that a horrible thing they're terrified will happen will happen if they don't do this thing that OCD tells them to do over and over and over again. Oh, okay. So you have to have obsessions and compulsions and mm -hmm. they're related in that way. And then for people who say, well, I'm a little bit like that, you know, if it's not interfering with your ability to perform your daily activities of living, which yeah. is, you know, getting dressed in the morning, getting out the door, um, then, you know, it's subclinical and you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. You know, people with OCD, and this is why it's so upsetting to people when people use it lightly, um, you know, have a hard time functioning totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you'll see kids not being able to get to school or getting to school repeatedly hours late and they wow. can't focus. The other thing that happens, I know you're going to ask, well, oh wait, you're going to ask me about <laughs> school because, yeah, school, there's particular challenges related to school. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> um, it's very interesting and, and helpful to understand that there's like this ritualistic aspect to it that kind of links the, the obsession and the compulsion to, to alleviate it. Um, I think it's, I mean, I remember seeing um, that film with Jack Nicholson <laughs> um, and Helen Hunt, um, as good as it gets, right, in the 90s. And, and he like famously has obsessive compulsive disorder. He's always washing his hands and he has a fresh bar of soap. But you're, again, it's just at this very surface level, you're not really understanding what drives it. And it's very interesting to think about it really kind of coming on for younger children as well. Um, again, for, for me as a, as a former educator, I know I'm speaking with other, um, other teachers, it's just not really on our radar and it might be kind of masked, right? You might associate that it's, oh, it's something else. You have a kid, you know, the kid's, you know, quirky, quote unquote, or maybe the kid has ADHD or something like that. Um, so it's really helpful to have this information. Um, I'm definitely interested to hear more about the support group that you and Chris attended. Uh, a lot of uh, families who may be listening to this um, attend some form of support group, right? It could be disability specific, uh, but generally there's kind of common themes or, you know, approaches. So I'm just curious what that experience was like. Sure. Um, so uh, there is a great uh, listserv for parents of kids with OCD. It's a Yahoo group, um, and the link to it is on our website. Um, and so that's where I had found out about it. There's also a listing of support groups and um, advocacy uh there's chapters of the OCD Foundation. Mm -hmm. That's a great resource for people to know about. It's the International OCD Foundation. Okay. They're based in Boston, and you can also go there to see if there's a local group near you where you can meet with other parents. Um, so we shared information about what 
mostly about therapists, what we thought of the therapist we were working with, who mm -hmm. was good, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the most important thing for me and for a lot of the other parents was just to have a place where you could go and people would understand the um, insanity <laughs> that was going on in your household. It's hard to yeah. explain how hard it is to live with somebody with OCD. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that you know, I'd like to acknowledge that it's worse for them than it is for everybody sure, else. But sure. basically, you find that you're incredibly controlled by OCD. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the parents uh, were very stressed because, you know, your goal as a parent a lot of times is to accommodate or meet your kids' needs. But the needs that they're expressing that are dictated to them by OCD, that you really can't accommodate. The more you accommodate, the more controlling the OCD will get. So you end up wow. in this situation where, like, you know, parents will have a situation where, like, they'll put a fork on the table and the kid will say, no, it has to be a different fork. And then, no, you have to put it down this way and you have to, you know, so you get yeah. into this place where just nobody can really function. Um, and so you have to learn how to not accommodate the OCD, which then results in a lot of tantrums. Sure. The kids are just in a, a full on sort of um, fight or flight mode a lot of times when you won't accommodate because they need you to do that thing that OCD wants them to do. So a lot of it was just, you know, being with other parents that n knew what you were talking about and not having to sort of like explain everything. Um, and then sharing the difficulties because what happens in families when there's a person with OCD is that, you know, the parents aren't necessarily on the same page or one thinks the other one's accommodating too much or yeah. one parent might think that um, the other parent's causing the OCD and then, you know, same problems with external you know, extended family. So there's and siblings yeah. have it really hard too because a lot of times siblings or parents will be wrapped into the OCD as a trigger. Yeah. So it can get really, really hard. So I think for us, the support groups were largely just about venting and sharing and feeling like somebody understood what we were going through. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, so thanks so much for, for talking about the, the family dynamic. I'm not Maybe not everyone who's listening as a child who was OCD, but they're familiar with kind of navigating the complexities of being on the same page, knowing what the right kind of support and accommodation is, how to get help, and sharing and pooling resources, right? It's so important. Uh, so that's, that's great to hear. Uh, and I'm just thinking about, you're talking about difficulties, challenges, and supports that can happen on the home front, but of course, we're, you mentioned school as well. So I imagine school can be a particularly challenging environment for a young person with OCD. And that might be obvious, but again, for me as a teacher, I never was on my radar. So I don't think it is so obvious. So I'm curious what, what you all may have learned or discussed either in the support group or for making this film uh, about why school can be so challenging and what accommodations uh, would look like for a child with OCD in school. Yeah, so when we first made the film, we showed a rough cut of it at the OCD Foundation annual conference, and mm -hmm. a lot of parents were in the room, and it was amazing how the main... Uh, feedback that we got was people afterwards would say, I need this film to show to my my son's teacher. I need to yeah. show it to the administrators at my kid's school. They don't understand. And what happens a lot is that um, teachers get into a disciplinary mode. So yeah. the kids are doing a ritual. They have to do it. They mm -hmm. feel that their life depends on doing the ritual. And then they're not obeying, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. then they get... Um, then the teacher thinks, well, they're just being bad, or they have some sort of oppositional defiant disorder, there you go. right? And yeah. so, and then they punish, and then what happens then is the the child has more anxiety because they really now think they get. So the more the worse the stress gets, the more the OCD gets triggered. So it's just a it's a vicious cycle of just things getting worse and worse and worse until they end up just you know 
completely <laughs> flipping out or having some kind of meltdown or not going to school. You know, yeah. then you end up with school refusal, right? Yeah. So there's that problem. There's also the problem of um, thinking that the kids have um, ADHD or ADD because they are... It's not that they may have that, but it, sure. <laughs> they also may just be in their head doing rituals. So a lot of rituals re involve counting, blinking, different things. So if they're totally concerned that they're not, you know, they might be doing a mental ritual, that's mm -hmm. one thing, or they might just be really stressed out that they couldn't do the ritual that they needed to do tapping certain walls on the way into the classroom. If they couldn't do it, they might just be really stressed about that and thinking about that. So. The kids may seem lost in thought or not paying attention, but they really are just incredibly focused on, on what's going on with their OCD. So those are big problems. One in 200 children has OCD. That means in most schools you have a handful of kids yeah. at least. Yeah. And it's really important for teachers to start to be able to understand what OCD looks like. Yeah. And then dealing with treatment is, you know, it really means then, um, I learned this by going to the School Social Work Association conference and showing the film oh. um, in March in Columbus, Ohio. I realized that a lot of times there's, uh, it's very difficult because what you have to do is bring the teacher in, then you want to have the school psychologist or the social worker, but then you also need a treatment provider, a therapist who's working with the kid because you can't just suddenly make a child stop doing rituals. It's a very, um, and we can talk about how, what the treatment is, but it's not something that you can go from, you know, zero to a hundred sure. with it immediately. Sure. So there's, there are, you know, you may need to make accommodations for a child. You yeah. may need to let them do certain rituals, even though it goes against technically the rules, you know, if yeah. it's not, it's, so there's different 504 accommodations in IEP, um, you know, uh, stipulations or IEP accommodations that um, that parents work out with schools, but it really needs to be done together with a team. You yeah. know, the teacher, yeah. the social worker, the psychologist, and then an outside therapist yeah. who the kid's working with. Yeah, that, that's really well said. So the team approach certainly <laughs> certainly it makes sense. You know, you want to make sure that the, the, the teacher is on the same page as, uh, let's say, the administration. Um, imagine having counseling in school or access to a counselor or social worker would be really, <clears throat> excuse me, helpful as well. So really mapping that out and documenting it is going to be so important. And I definitely could see there being a, a helpful place to note it in a 504, or maybe if the child already has an IEP, let's say they have a learning disability and there's um, OCD is kind of comorbid with that, you could note, um, you could note the you know, accommodations uh, for OCD, maybe under the management needs section of the IEP, that's a good place to, to note the, the behavioral supports, the academic supports for a child in class or throughout the school day. Um, well, I'll give you an example. So yeah. one of the um, social workers I met at the conference, her son had um, has OCD. And so he was late to school every single day because he had a, tr the bell was a trigger for him during the morning announcements. Yeah. So she went to the school and said, can he just he'll be there on time yeah. he needs to leave school for five minutes and sit in his car in the parking lot in high school um and then come back in and that way he'll be able to complete the school is like no we can't allow that so sometimes there's rules that are just the school is just not being flexible because they don't understand but yeah. like if that makes it possible for the kid to participate in you know otherwise then 
there can, there are ways you could accommodate certain rituals. They might say, well, we don't want to accommodate, but that's not really up to the school to decide. That really needs to be decided with a, with a therapist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the accommodation is really going to help the child be that much more available to learning, you need to be flexible. And I, I've been there in conversations. I'm not going to go into, go into the into the specifics, but where an accommodation seems it's it's kind of unique. It's it's like the first of its kind. And I get it. There's there's a big kind of mindset shift that might need to take place. But if that's really going to be helpful for the child and it's been documented by a team that the family's working with and the child's working with outside of school, it's really worth, it's really worth trying out, you know? Um, so interesting. <laughs> I want to shift over to the young people in the film, though. Uh, so how many youth were in the film? There are uh, six altogether. Okay. And so how did you cast them? Um... We put the word out through some therapists. Okay. So we worked, my daughter and Chris's daughter were both uh, working with an amazing therapist out Mount, at Mount Sinai Hospital, Dr. Rojas. And so she uh, was able to connect us with some kids that she had worked with. Um, and uh, we also met some others through other therapists who we worked with who uh, were on our advisory board. So we reached out and found therapists who we thought would be good. Mm -hmm. Um, just to make sure we were also doing things right and that the film would be helpful and accurate. Um, and then we put the word out on the parents listserv, um, the Yahoo group. Got it. Um, and to our surprise, there were actually a huge number of kids and families that wanted to participate. <laughs> and uh, so then Chris did the initial screening because we had to make sure that we would have, you know, a diverse range of kids with diverse types of OCD. And so it was hard that way, you know. Um, and uh, so once he had identified somebody as being a possible good person, then I would do a Skype uh, interview with them. Oh, okay. And so that's how I uh, then made the decision about which ones we should actually travel to spend time with. Um, and one of the hardest things was just telling kids who had done those Skype interviews with me that they weren't going to be in the film, which made me realize times yeah. have really changed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's actually kids who want to be spokespeople. Yeah. You know, and a lot of them, it's because they've done so well in therapy, they want to help other kids. That's what mm -hmm. they would say, which was kind of amazing um, to me. So, uh, yeah, so that's how we cast them. Okay. Uh, so it's good to know that there's, it's, we're not just, it didn't take two years to identify six <laughs> students. It sounds like there's a really rich kind of community of therapy and support. And, and there's a lot of youth who are much more, you know, kind of uh, much more strongly advocating to share their stories than may have been the case before. Um, so it was certainly striking that the movie only consists of interviews with these six youth, right? There's no adults. Well, there's two siblings also. Oh, there's siblings as yes. well. But in general, there aren't adults present on no, camera. No, no adults. So what was the reason behind that choice? I know I know you're going to say, talk a bit about the approach, so I guess I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. Well, the idea for the approach was um, every all the media that exists about OCD, uh, there's not that much of it, first of all. There's some really great books and people can find them on our website for kids um, okay. that I think have been really helpful to a lot of families. Um, Media-wise, there really wasn't much out there. Um, and then the main thing that was a turnoff for me was watching these sort of reality TV style um, shows. So there's one called Obsessed, where they mm. actually like follow people through therapy for OCD. And the mm. therapy for OCD is what's called exposure and response therapy. Okay. So what that means is that you work with a therapist to identify um, a hierarchy of challenges, things that are difficult for you to do. A lot of times it's a, you know, not doing a ritual, for example, or yeah. So 
Um, so you come up with a hierarchy and then you work through the hierarchy. So if, you know, if, um, for example, one of the kids in the uh, film was, had this uh, fear of turning into a superhero, okay? Yeah. Um, and so he couldn't, you know, look at any uh, superheroes, any bodybuilders. He couldn't be near anything like a GNC store or super cut. You know, there was all these things that he couldn't do. He had very severe OCD. Yeah. Um, he couldn't wear the color green. He can so words Hulk, he couldn't right? say. The Hulk, <laughs> yeah. right? All these things were triggers for him. So the way that he would go through therapy is he developed a list of seventy-two things that were hard for him. And wow. at the beginning of the list would be, you know, look at a picture of a bodybuilder for two seconds. You know, and so you work your way up mm -hmm. to the hardest mm -hmm. thing. So obviously that's a process where there's a lot of anxiety involved sure. and there's a lot of um, crying, stress. You know, it could be tantrums with kids. So, um, so I, I was worried about showing that because basically what those, what that show obsessed does is you follow somebody through treatment and you watch them in this process, they're adults, but you watch them in this process of doing the thing that's most terrifying to them in the whole world. Now, yeah. having seen my child go through that, I knew as a parent that even if the kid wanted to do it and the parents wanted to do it at some point, somebody would be uncomfortable about having that footage out there in the world. So yeah. I didn't want to do that. So I was stuck. So then at some point I realized, um, I was actually driving the two kids home from their group. Uh, they did OCD day camp with Dr. Rojas and I was uh, driving them home and I heard them in the back of the car talking and they were so incredibly uh, articulate and able to process, you know, what OCD was and, and, and I just suddenly was like, oh wow, they're like experts on this yeah. and we should just interview them. And so the whole idea was to give the kids a certain amount of, um, to empower them yeah, to talk about what they'd been through in a way that they could feel good about, yeah. you know, later. And then I learned through the whole process that kids really don't believe things that adults tell them. I, mean, I just learned that. Yeah. But, you know, when, when, all, when parents and therapists are telling you, you have to do this exposure, this is OCD, you have to name it and confront it. They might do it, but they don't really believe it. But if they hear other kids telling them, yeah, it so really true. makes a huge difference. Yeah. So kids talking to other kids is key um, to, I think, getting kids to participate in therapy and yeah. to believe that you know what's going on in their head is not necessarily true and that they need to open their perspective and, and think about it a different way. Yeah, that's really well put. Uh, so I'm curious if you could say just a little bit more about the treatment so it's exposure and response yeah it's a form of cognitive behavioral therapy okay and it's called exposure and response therapy ERP and that is the evidence-based treatment for OCD okay so one of the main things that the OCD foundation does is make sure that people are informed about that because a lot of therapists say they treat OCD but then they're really doing talk therapy with the kids or play therapy with the kids or other kinds of therapy and that can actually um, work in reverse and make the OCD yeah. worse because you don't you know It's not that the yeah, anyway, it doesn't it's not the the good therapy for OCD and the right therapy is this exposure and response therapy yeah. And it needs to be done by somebody who's trained to do that and the OCD foundation has this provider directory on their website Which is great because okay. if you're seeing a therapist, because a lot of times you'll be refer or you'll go to your insurance And you'll see which therapist can I go? Oh, this one treats OCD all that means is they checked a box. Yeah, that says yeah. they treat OCD and um, you know, so what you need to do is make sure that they're that they're doing exposure response prevention. 
And then if you want to find a therapist, you can do that through the OCD Foundation. And the OCD Foundation also does this institute where they're training therapists to do ERP. It's like a weekend thing, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's a really great resource. So, um, yeah, so what's amazing about ERP is that it's incredibly effective. Hmm. Like over the course of 12 weeks or 15 weeks, you know, you can see an enormous improvement. I mean, some kids have to be hospitalized to do it. Some people need to go mm. to, ex you know, intensive outpatient, but sure, some people sure. can go once or twice a week. Yeah. And once they get those tools and start working on it, the improvement is amazing. Wow. And that, for me, was another reason to make the film, yeah. which was people do not know. There's people yeah. struggling through OCD for years, you know, and it's sad wow. it's because shame, you can yeah. get the right tools and you do it. Yeah. It can really be effective. A lot of times also kids are um, put on medication. Usually it's SSRIs, antidepressants, mm -hmm. um, and that can be very helpful. But in this case, you really want to use the SSRIs, and I'll say I'm not a doctor, but this is what I've learned. Me neither. <laughs> that SSRIs can be useful when, the, when a child cannot even begin exposure therapy or it's too hard for them. Yeah. That can take the edge off and help them do the therapy. Yeah. But in and of itself, for children, it's really um, it's not the recommended way to just treat with medication. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm hearing it's of course it can be very difficult to become available to participate in the therapy. Right. That's its own kind of journey, and there's different degrees of of the type of OCD you have and how severe it may impact you. But once you are in the place to participate in ERP, that's really the the, the type of course of treatment that will help. And is that true just for kids or anyone who has OCD? That's true for anyone with OCD. Got it. Okay. That's, that's really good to know. Um, and so it's definitely true <laughs> that just in observing the youth, you know, they're kind of just recounting their, their journeys, right, and how much progress they made. So it really was striking. And I definitely remember that, um, that, that, that boy who had the kind of phobia of, of superheroes and bodybuilders. Um, so I was just curious what some of the major reflections uh, from the youth were? Like, what were some of their messages that really stuck with you? I think that um, somebody who saw the film, an adult, said that the film impressed them because these kids were more, more self-aware than the vast majority mm. of adults will ever be. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for me to see people go through such a hard thing and gain the self-reflection and the tools. Yeah. You know, one of the kids says at the end of the film, like, I've learned that when I have a thought, I don't have to act on it. I can just sit with it and I realize that it'll pass and that it doesn't define me. Like, if most people in the world knew how just to do that, yeah, <laughs> you know, know, we'd be in a much better place yeah. as, as, a, as humankind. So um, I think for me, there's a deep message about the tools these kids have learned, not, not just in terms of their OCD, which is huge, um, but just, you know, in terms of just being able to not be controlled by their thoughts and their emotions um, and to learn some tools for managing very difficult emotions. Mm. And I'm curious, we've spent a lot of time hearing about these youth, and for good reason. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's so much so much we could we could continue to learn about. But I'm curious about the parents' experiences. Um, I mean, you already touched on that by speaking about the support group. But thinking about the parents of the youth in the film, um, how did they feel about their children, you know, who had so recently had faced these daunting daily living challenges, um, opening up and sharing about their disabilities and treatment, or, you know, if you just want to more, more holistically share some of the messages or takeaways the parents got from the experience in general? Across the board, the parents were incredibly supportive of yeah. their kids um, participating. And a lot of the kids have traveled 
they've spoken after screenings, they've been involved in all kinds of, um, you know, online Facebook live events. And mm -hmm. so they are advocates mm -hmm. now. I mean, that's part of what being in the film has done, I think has had allowed them to step forward and, and become advocates. And, and, you know, a lot of um, kids who come to see the film or on, on the Facebook page will say, you know, I just, I need to talk to another kid with OCD and they'll step forward and they'll do that. So, um, so that's been really great to see. I think the reason that the parents support their kids being in the film is that the big challenge with OCD is being able to externalize the OCD. So when you're in the throes of OCD, you mm -hmm. can't separate yourself from it. And that oh. cognitive part of yeah. the cognitive behavioral therapy is being able to say, it's not me, it's my OCD that's telling me to do this. Okay. And I need to... So they ask the kids to draw pictures of what OCD looks like to them or to give yeah. it a name or yeah. to boss it back, you yeah. know? All, those all that language is about um, externalizing OCD. And I think all parents live with the fear that it's going to come back mm -hmm. because it will come back. It just won't come back necessarily in a severe way okay. and the kids will have learned tools, yeah. right? Um, so I think that the parents were really excited about their kids. I think participating in the film reinforced key concepts that are part of the treatment. And yeah, I, just, just hearing from that, uh, again, and I don't want to generalize too much, you know, different disabilities, they really have their kind of specificities that, that you really need to understand, you know, unique as, as kind of unique to that case. But just hearing some of the some of the trends here for what allowed the youth to persist, you know, they're they're able to to name their disability to better understand it and to persist through these strategies and supports, both in school and outside of school. The parents are recognizing this, they're they're seeking to get help through support groups, through, you know, through their therapy team. And then they in turn are really investing in this, not just for their for their kids, but those, you know, more broadly who, whom are affected by that. And that seems to be just so important. There's there's such vast areas of support groups and networks and for, for something that might not affect you firsthand and your family firsthand, but if you do have a youth who has a disability or you yourself have a disability, it's really affirming to know that, you know? Um, and that's something that really kind of connects just beyond this, this specific type of condition. Um, so just before we're kind of in, back into conclusion mode, I'm curious, um, is there anything you'd want to build on uh, about kind of supports and accommodations? Uh, you, you, you spoke about supports and accommodations for home, for school, um, with the treatment plan. Are there any other you know, ideas that would be important for, for listeners to, to hear, either about OCD or maybe even something they could connect to supporting uh, their child who has a different type of disability? I guess I would just like to share one of the things that I learned making the film is that um, I think things have really changed in terms of the stigma around mental illness. I think yeah. the reason that the kids were willing to stand up and represent um, themselves as people with OCD yeah. is that all of the anti-bullying and all of the, um, ex you know, um, accepting of people being different in all kinds of ways. I think um, there's a better climate now. I mean, I don't want to be overly optimistic yeah. about it, but a lot of the kids said that when they finally, uh, even the kids that might have been making fun of them for doing their rituals before yeah. when they didn't understand that later when they were able to tell people what was going on, even a few key friends, 
their friends then would go and, and defend them or stand up for them. And so I think that um, the climate has changed and as more people stand up and talk about their disabilities, I think, um, you know, it'll just change more. So I think, you know, you need to be careful about yeah. who you tell what to, but sure. I do think that overall I felt a lot of hope um, about the way that other peers um, and kids were able to really support um, these kids. Yeah, that's great to hear. It really does seem like the, the kind of the door is opened to allow a broader conversation, an open and honest conversation to really understand what it is to live with this condition, but certainly more generally, you know, just hearing just discourses about mental health in general in society, it really seems like that's becoming um, more just normalized, and that's that's so important. So it's even further <laughs> that's even a further plug for why this film is so great because you're seeing it. Those who've been affected by that firsthand at a young age, how they're able to persist, how they're able to tell their stories and impart hope in other people. It's it's really amazing. Uh, so just to kind of bring it bring it home. Um, I feel like we've heard a lot of takeaways. Anything else you want to add for, for those who listen or view? Okay, <laughs> just a, a, a final check on that. Um, and maybe this is a bit, maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but I'm curious. Um, you know, I know OCD, this is not the only kind of overlooked or misunderstood condition that is going to, you know, be touched on through, you know, documentary film, right? Or perhaps a series, hopefully something better than, um, obsessed. <laughs> but uh, I'm just curious, you really, you were really thoughtful about your approach, right? And making sure this film was respectful, ethical, and informative. Um, so what advice would you have for any future documentarian working on topics near to people with disabilities? Well, the best case scenario is people with the disability make the film themselves. Yeah, I mean, I sure. think that, you know, I think it was helpful that Chris and I had that perspective of being close to yeah. OCD, but we don't have OCD, um, and yeah. I, you know, there are some great projects um, that I've come into contact with since we made the film, um, and those are also listed on the resources of our website. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people with OCD who are doing podcasts and, um, you know, different film projects and stuff. So there's like more work being done by. I, so I think that's the main thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a crucial um, point too. Yeah, I think that. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that I brought to it because I had the filmmaking skills and I'd made lots of other films, mm -hmm. but, you know, no doubt um, having that experience of not just parenting, but talking to the doctors. I mean, that would be the other thing is Unstuck has been very useful. A lot of people are using it in therapy. Like they're oh, wow. showing it to kids <laughs> and even grown-ups yeah. in hospitals, yeah. in treatment facilities, in therapist's office. And I think the reason that it's useful is that we had been through therapy and we also included some therapists in the process. So I think knowing how the film could work um, and bringing in the people who you hope will be using it and knowing what your goals are for the film to be used, yeah. you know, um, you don't always know all of those things from the outset, but thinking them through, I think is really important. Well, take note of that. That's great advice, truly. Uh, and I just really want to thank you for <laughs> all this incredible information perspective. Um, and I also want to make sure anyone who's listening uh, to this uh, has the information they need to check out your film. So um, just curious, how can people view Unstuck? Where is it available? So individuals can view it. Uh, it's streaming on our website. Uh, it costs $7.99 and okay. you can go there and watch it. Um, OCDkidsmovie.com. If you're a professional and you want to use the film in your practice or um, 
if you're a therapist or if you're an educator uh, or a librarian and you want to use the film in a professional context, you would purchase it through New Day Films, which is the distributor. And there's tiered pricing for different users, um, and that's available on DVD or for streaming, and that information is also on the website. Okay, great. And there's lots of other content you're talking about. On the website, on the website, there's therapy lists, there's, there's great links. Um, so if you just want to say a little bit more about that, you know, what types of uh, resources are available? Yeah, um, there's lots of resources on the website, but I would also want to just give a shout out to our uh, social media. So Chris, oh, uh, my collaborator, ha has been amazing at setting up um, the Facebook page for the film. Um, you can find it easily um, through our website or just Google Facebook Unstuck OCD. Um, and uh, what, what he does on there is lots and lots of things like Facebook Live, where you'll have a kid with OCD.com, or siblings. Oh, cool. um, in fact, on our website, there's a whole page just for siblings, That's and I great. think we're one of the only places where you can actually get support and help for siblings. Yeah. Um, and then there's also a Facebook private group. Um, I think it's called Getting Unstuck from OCD, um, but you can access it through our Facebook page. Um, and that's a closed group where people share a lot of resources and experiences and so on. So it's sort of like a parent support group, but on yeah, Facebook. That's so, awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really proud and um, happy with everything that Chris has done with, yeah. with that aspect of things. Yeah, the website's really amazing. I, I did not get so far as to know if there was a Facebook Live. I'm really glad I know that now. <laughs> uh, so to parents, teachers, professionals, and youth alike, stay engaged with the website and all these great resources and check out the film. Um, so again, I've been thanking you throughout because this has been so <laughs> informative, but I really want to give you a, a final thanks for, for speaking with us, Kelly. Uh, congratulations on this excellent film that's shedding light on OCD from the all-important view of the young people who have the condition. And thank you everyone who's tuned into this broadcast of Include NYC, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. <laughs>